2: Hello, hello.
0: Hey, I don't know if you heard, but my podcast, Checking It, has been nominated for the NAACP Image Award in the category of Outstanding Lifestyle and Self-Help Podcast. I'm grateful for the nomination. I, I almost didn't even do a podcast because I was just wondering, there are thousands of podcasts out there and why is my voice needed? But a nomination from the NAACP lets me know that um, I made the right choice. And I encourage you to do. Don't worry if there are thousands of something out that you want to do. No, nobody has your sauce. So listen, you can still vote. Go to vote.naacpimageawards.net. You have until February 5th, um, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And please listen to my podcast. We're a part of the Black Effect Podcast Network on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Thank you for checking in. Michaela Cole has been cast in the Black Panther sequel. Paralympic swimmer Becca Myers has withdrawn from the Tokyo Games. And E! Sarah Grossbart joins us to talk about how the Olympic Village became known for its sexy escapades.
0: It's July 22nd, 2021.
2: friends. I'm Casey Rackham. And I'm Stephen LeConte. Welcome to BuzzFeed Daily. So Casey, as a pop culture podcast, we do cover a lot of exciting news in the worlds of like film and TV. Um, Well, I just saw a very exciting article in The Hollywood Reporter about a new movie coming out that was written by you. (laughs) I wrote a book! (laughs)
0: i'm so excited i wrote it with my writing partner kirsten king who used to work for buzzfeed and uh we just like absolutely love it it is produced by natasha leone and maya rudolph
2: and it's super super gay i mean what more could i want in a movie (laughs) Then my dear, dear Casey and Maya Rudolph and Natasha Leon. I mean, it's just, it sounds amazing, by the way. Yes. So it's
0: called Love in Color, and it's this teen coming-of-age rom-com, and it's following an aspiring young artist that is forced to join her high school track team. And she uses it as an opportunity to pursue the girl she's been harboring a long-time crush on, but she soon finds herself falling for an unexpected teammate and discovers what real love feels like.
2: Casey, it's so good. And one thing I love about it, and I know the article even mentioned this was one of your goals of doing this. I love that it's this queer teen movie where the storyline isn't about coming out. It's just about young queer love. Mm-hmm,
0: exactly. We just, you know, we've seen those stories and those are real stories, you know, but we also have stories of joy and love that doesn't have to do with coming out. So we wanted to write about that.
2: I love that. Well, I know I speak for all of us at the BuzzFeed Daily team when I say we are so happy for you and just so excited oh, to see thank this Thank you movie. so much, Stephen. And can we move on to more exciting movie news, by the way? As if we couldn't be more excited about the Black Panther sequel, Michaela Cole, who you might know from either I May Destroy You or Chewing Gum, has just joined the cast. There's still no word on what character she's playing, but numerous people are already theorizing slash hoping that it'll be Storm, who Halle Berry played in the original X-Men movies.
0: Okay, Steven, one, perfect casting. Two, this is the first thing I thought of. I'm like, okay, if she isn't going to get the awards at the Golden Globes, um, then let her get that money.
2: Absolutely. Cash those Marvel checks. It is.
0: And that's what, in Hollywood, money runs everything. So I'm glad that she is getting what she deserves, you know? Oh yeah,
2: absolutely. And I know, so we still don't know if it's definitely Storm. Mm -hmm. That's just like one theory. I also know like the Black Panther sequel, you know, Chadwick Boseman Mm -hmm. will not be in it. And I'm thinking like, you know, we have a female Thor now with Natalie Portman. So I wouldn't hate it if she kind of takes over the Black Panther thing as well. I
0: know. And that is what everyone is wondering, like, who's going to take up that mantle?
2: Well, we will just have to watch and see. But Marvel, A-plus casting, yes. good yes. job.
0: I will tell you what's not A-plus. <laughs> and no, not uh, that's all. the Olympics for many reasons. But uh, most recently, Paralympic swimmer Becca Myers announced that she will no longer participate in the Tokyo Games after being denied, quote, reasonable and essential care. Becca, who is deaf and blind, posted on social media that the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee repeatedly denied her request to bring her mother, who acts as her personal care assistant, to Tokyo because they hired one for athletes to share. Becca wrote, quote, with COVID, there are new safety measures and limits to non-essential staff in place. Rightfully so, but a trusted PCA is essential for me to compete.
2: I mean, Casey. Like, it, where to even begin Oof. with this? It's not. A, it it would never be okay for any sort of event to be inaccessible mm-hmm. to people with disabilities. But add on top of that, we're talking about the Paralympic Games, and they're having an issue with accessibility. It's it's absolutely. Uh, mind blowing. Too. And
0: you know this isn't like the first instance that the Olympics have come up against with accessibility. And I'm thinking about. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure some athletes who are also mothers are being told that they can't bring their children to breastfeed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's. <laughs> I'm
2: sorry. I get. I get that there are restrictions. I get
0: it. But to what extent?
2: And the COVID restrictions are one thing, but if the restrictions are are specifically making it so that it's harder for some people, for example, you know, a person who needs a personal care assistant or a person who has a child that they are breastfeeding, then that policy is discriminatory, you know? And with all of the logistics, and I mean, there are thousands and thousands of people descending upon Tokyo for the games. I don't see how you can draw the line at a fucking personal care assistant for an athlete. You know what I mean? Like, get, get rid of the opening ceremony. I don't need the dancers. Let the athletes compete and give them what they need to be able to show up and compete.
0: All right. So moving on to something different, but still very much Olympics related. You know that unbridled free-for-all sexual debauchery that comes only once every two years? Well, it's finally here. We're speaking, of course, about the Olympic Village. It's where Olympic athletes go to unwind after taking on the entire world.
2: But amid COVID concerns, could organizers be trying to dampen the mood this year? That's what social media originally thought when it suspected that the Tokyo Olympics were actually supplying those cardboard beds to discourage intimacy among athletes. Reese McLennigan, a gymnast, was quick to debunk this on Twitter.
0: In today's episode of fake news at the Olympic games, the beds are meant to be anti-sex. They're made out of cardboard, yes, but apparently they're meant to break at any sudden movements. It's fake, fake news.
2: However, cardboard would hardly be enough to get in the way of a generations long tradition of partying. Here to talk to us more about how the Olympic Village became known for its sexy escapades that's the title of her latest piece, by the way is Eonline's Sarah Grossbart. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for joining us today.
3: Thank you guys for
2: having me. So there was this story going around about Tokyo installing cardboard beds specifically to deter people from having sex. That's been more or less debunked at this point. But the fact that it was so believable just speaks to the Olympics certain reputation in this area. And this is really nothing new. So can you tell us about how Olympic athletes have either hinted at or just downright confirmed that the Olympic village is notorious for debauchery?
3: Sure. I think there might be a divide in that because we've spoken to a few athletes in the lead up for the games and certainly the ones in heavy metal contention are going in focus. They're talking to us about how they're like bringing their foam top mattresses to get like better sleep. Like my guess is those people are not partaking in that side. <laughs> but then on the other hand, you have Ryan Lofty who was talking admittedly back in 2012 before he's married with kids, but saying some 70 to 75 percent of athletes are taking advantage of being in a place with a lot of attractive athletes mm-hmm.
2: at the top of their game. And and when is this happening? Are they doing it before they compete or do they wait until they're done? So our sources say it's a mix. And again,
3: I think it depends on how intense your particular competition <laughs> is. I think you have, you know, the, the table tennis player talking back in 1992. I think You can afford to have a little fun between (laughs) matches without taking any edge off your game. Um, So we had a source in Rio, so back in 2016, saying, you know, while some people wait until they're done and it's more of a celebration, so to speak, for others, it sort of gives them a little pep in their step, like heading into competition.
0: Mm. So why do you think this has always been so over the top? What have Olympians or others in the know said about why this turns into such a crazy experience every time? Like, is it more beyond just like we're hot athletes (laughs) in peak shape?
3: (laughs) I mean, that's certainly part of it. You know, in the the 2012 ESPN article, you had a lot of athletes talking about it, like sort of kid in a candy shop vibe where it's like Mm. you're surrounded by. Everyone's hot. Like, everyone's in the best physical shape, and it's a lot of fun. And so, I think probably for a lot of people, it's just that. Like, you're surrounded by like minded athletes. I mean, Hope Solo talked about how. You know, you, in a bar, you kind of have to work to get to know someone. In the <laughs> Olympic Village, you can be like, hey, what's your sport? And you automatically have something in common. So it's, like, super easy to make a connection. Mm. Um, but she also spoke about how athletes are sort of all or nothing people. So you've spent, what, four years of your life training for this moment, building up for this moment, missing, you know, probably missing out on dating and partying and having fun. And once you can celebrate, like, She talked about how athletes are going to go hard, like you're either abstaining for everything and you're training and it's laser focus. Or she said, then they go out for a drink and it's like 20 drinks.
2: (laughs) You know, the Olympics actually has a long history of supplying condoms throughout the years. And one thing I was really struck by in your piece is you talk about just how many they're providing. Can you break down some of those numbers for us? And have they always been giving out this many condoms to the athletes?
3: So italy it's definitely gone up, but from what I found, it dates back to 1988 in Seoul. So if you think about it, that's, you know, sort of at the height of the HIV pandemic, all of a sudden safe sex is a thing. So they started handing out condoms. So back then it was like 8,500 by the time You got to Sydney in 2000, so 12 years later, they had an initial haul of 70,000 that they thought would be enough. And reports state that they had to run out and get 20,000 more because they (laughs) ran out. (laughs) So, admittedly, that was the same year that an American um, shooter was talking about basically what he called running a friggin' brothel in the Olympic Village. And they had like a duffel bag full of condoms there. So, you can see how they might have run out. But by uh, London in 2012, it's up to like 150,000. And then in Rio, uh, the report was 450,000, which is a significant jump.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'd say so. Okay, but I want to talk about this year because condoms are still being handed out. But apparently their use is strongly discouraged given (laughs) COVID. So has the IOC drafted an official sex policy? Are they trying to (laughs) discourage hookups amid COVID safety measures?
3: Yeah, so the reports are definitely that they are strongly discouraging physical activity outside of competition. And I believe that their <laughs> hope is that everyone will just take the condoms home and promote safe sex there. I don't really know how they're going to police that.
0: I know. And also, I want to say we're all coming out of like a year and a half drought where many people haven't had sex. <laughs> right.
3: I would imagine ahead of competition, you know, the fear of COVID would be enough. That certain people would certainly stick to the rules, but I would wonder in those like 48 hours or so after before they have to leave, what the situation might be.
2: Well, we'll be right back with E! Online's Sarah Grossbart to talk more on sex, the Olympics, and what really goes on at the infamous village. hello
3: hello hi oh my god i want to come through the screen and hug you
0: hey everybody jessica zor here also known as vanessa abrams on gossip girl i am so excited to share my new podcast with you guys it's called xoxo and it's a walk down memory lane all about gossip girl i'll chat with some of the cast crew fans of the show and i'm just so pumped for you guys to go on this journey with me
1: Hi,
3: I'm Ed Westwick. I played with Chuck Bass. I just can't believe that I did that with my life. Jay, we had like the most amazing time.
0: Listen to XOXO on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Welcome back. We're talking with eOnline Sarah Grossbart about how the Olympic Village became notorious for parting and debauchery. So, before we paint this as an all-out Olympic sexcapade, I know you mentioned not all athletes are participating in this madness. How much of this do you think we might be, like, overhyping this?
3: I would guess that there are two camps. I think, you know, if you listen to the quotes that actual athletes like Hope Solo and Ryan Lochte have have given, it it turns into something of a frat party as the competition winds down and and people are done and heading out of town. But I do think, you know, the athletes in heavy contention for taking home, you know, multiple medals are are probably honed in on what they're there to do.
0: So... You know, this is something that absolutely fascinates me. We also have technological advancements and how it's added some interesting twists to things in recent years. You know, we're now hearing over TikTok, even one of our coworkers did this, that people changed their location settings on dating apps to Tokyo so they could match with athletes. I mean, how is the app generation shaking things up at the Olympics? It's a
3: smart plan. But I mean, certainly (laughs) you heard about in like 2014, all of a sudden, Tinder is this huge thing. All of the athletes are using it and talking about how easy it is. Uh, we had sources in, in 2016 saying, you know, the athletes were certainly all about the Tinder because it's an even easier way to meet other athletes. And so I imagine that's going to be even more the situation now with people less out and about, not able to go out in the town, you know, more restrictions. That sort and
0: of hey, thing. you know what? Now on the apps, it it gives you the option to say you're vaccinated. So that's good. <laughs>
2: Okay. Well, having said all this and considering the COVID precautions, which you mentioned before, you, you mentioned that you don't think this is going to be maybe as wild as it's been in past years, or at least they're asking people not to be as wild as it's been in past years. Do you think that's really going to happen? What have you been hearing about how this year may be different or just more of the same?
3: I mean, some of the athletes that are already there, you're seeing reports where they're talking about how it's not quite the same. There's not as much mixing, uh, you know, you're, The only place that you're really interacting with people is in the cafeteria, but there's, you know, glass dividers up. I think, you know, with so many COVID precautions in place, I would have to imagine there would be less fun and less physicality.
2: Well, I'll be fascinated to see how that plays out. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us today.
0: Thank you so much. All right, that's it for today. Come back and join us tomorrow.
2: And remember, we are so excited for Casey's new movie, Love in Color. (laughs)
0: Be sure to subscribe to BuzzFeed daily on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you go for your
2: sound stories. And please take the time to leave us a rating and a review. It helps us figure out what you like about the show versus what you love about the show. And remember to come back for more of what you love about BuzzFeed, coming to you daily.
1: The Gangster Chronicles podcast is a weekly conversation that revolves around the underworld. From criminals and entertainers to victims of crime and law enforcement, we cover all facets of the game. Gangster Chronicles podcast doesn't glorify or promote illicit activities. We just discuss the ramifications and repercussions of these activities. Because after all, if you play gangster games, you are ultimately rewarded with gangster prizes. iHeartRadio is number one for podcasts, but don't take our word for it. Find the Gangster Chronicles podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. We've all felt left
2: out. And for people who move to this country, that feeling lasts more than a moment. We can change that. Learn how at belongingbeginswithus.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Rafi is the voice of some of the happiest songs of our generation.
1: Baby
2: So who is the man behind Baby Beluga?
1: Every human being wants to feel respected. When we start with young children, All good things can grow from there.
2: I'm Chris Garcia, comedian, new dad, and host of Finding Rafi, a new podcast from iHeartRadio and Fatherly. Listen every Tuesday on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.